0: Put in your earbuds, pour a cup of tea, or put on your work gloves. It's time for another episode of the No-Till Flowers Podcast. As always, I'm your ever-curious host, Jenny Love. Welcome back to part two of my recent chat with Bryant Mason. In this episode, we talk mostly about tissue testing as a tool to monitor crop nutrient needs and do more targeted fertilization. Tissue testing is pretty common in other agricultural sectors, but not so much in cut flowers. I would love to see our community use this tool more frequently. Last winter, with the help of Bryant, I began tissue testing several of my own greenhouse grown cut flowers. If you'd like to see the test results, I've posted them over on the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network, along with comments on how each particular crop ended up producing that season. I'm hoping to add more tissue testing results over time from my farm and others, creating a reference source for all of us. If you've been tissue testing or if you start, ideally after listening to this episode, I encourage you to add your test results over on Ruffin2 so we can continue to grow this data set. I've got a link to that in the show notes. And remember, we're jumping into the middle of my conversation with Bryant here in part two. If you haven't listened to part one in episode 37 yet, you might want to go back and do that first before continuing here. All right, now let's get back into this great conversation with Bryant Mason. Thank you so much for sort of um, being the catalyst to me finally doing tissue testing because I'd heard about it in different podcasts and I knew like this is useful, but I did not do it until you sort of (laughs) egged, not egged me on, but you know, you encouraged me to do it. And so I started doing tissue testing with some of my high value crops in my greenhouse last spring. So like last March, March, 2023, Um, I did a bunch of different tissue testings and then you helped me re- Read, read those tests and consider what they meant and um, dial in my nutrients that way. So I wanted to go deeper with this with you today to get a better understanding for listeners, to understand what tissue testing is, what's the value of it, how exactly do you do it, all these things. I can pepper you with questions as we go. So let's start there. Sure. What, what, what is the value of tissue testing?
1: Sure. So a tissue test is a is a full extraction of all the nutrients in the, the plant tissue, usually the leaves. And so you send in a sample of leaves, usually about two cups of plant material, which is quite a bit, um, depending on the size of your plants. Yeah, that
0: was the one and thing the lab, I struggled with, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. It is hard yeah, when no you have little plants to get two cups worth of tissue. Yes. <laughs> it, was, yes. it was a bit much.
1: <laughs> and realistically, the lab probably could do it with less, but it's a significant amount. Um, And so you send that into the lab, they dehydrate the leaves, which takes all the water out. And then they they look at all of the nutrients in that leaf. And so what it's looking at is all all the nutrient uptake to that point in time in the plant's life cycle. Most crops have a specific time you're supposed to take the sample um, and specific leaves that you pull from the plant. And in general, you want to pull fully mature new leaves. So you don't want to pull shaded yellowing leaves at the bottom of your plants. You don't want to pull little tiny leaves that haven't expanded out of new shoots. You want to pull fully expanded, fully developed mature leaves that are still relatively young, the the healthiest, most photosynthesizing leaves. Um, Unfortunately for flowers, what we learned is there's not necessarily targets for a lot of these common mm-hmm. cut flower species but um i was actually gonna i was excited to report to you that Ooh. um dahlias uh i've got targets you for I, I every yeah yeah and um ranunculus i have very rudimentary Ooh. uh targets just from a north carolina state research paper oh sweet so, I guess my point is, is it's better, even without targets, it's good to just start somewhere Mm -hmm. and start sampling just to see where your levels are, Mm -hmm. because there are trends. um, It's sometimes it's easy, even if you don't have targets to see if something's way out of whack, because most species um, have the magnesium, for example, is usually between 0.3 and 1%. So Mm -hmm. it's lower than that. It's, most likely a magnesium deficiency, even if you don't have targets.
0: Yeah. And I I sampled really speaking of ranunculus, I sampled really healthy ranunculus last year that were ended up at the time I sampled, I didn't know, but ended up being my best ranunculus crop to date. And so now I'm really glad that I got that test because it's not that I needed well, even if I didn't know what the targets were, but I didn't necessarily need to adjust anything. But now I know, hey, this is probably like, these are probably good numbers. So I'm gonna be testing again here soon um, now that my plants are big enough to test. And hopefully I'm on those same numbers. I'll be excited if I am. <laughs> so that that yeah. to me is valuable historical record keeping, so to speak.
1: Exactly. And I'll just add that as a as a flower growing community, if everyone starts doing that, mm-hmm. there will very quickly be a lot of tissue data yeah. on flowers. And in my opinion, tissue data is meant to be shared. So mm-hmm. if you ever get to that point, everyone should voluntarily share their data because it will collectively bring more value to everyone growing that crop. And um, to the answer to your question, what's the value of tissue testing? You are looking at the nutrient status of a plant. It's much more, um, I'd say accurate because there are there are numerous variables that happen between the soil and the plant and i like to say the plant doesn't lie Mm. so whatever redox reactions or biological nutrient cycling or weird uptake problems are happening in a perfect soil may not necessarily lead to perfect nutrition in a plant so it's best to just ask the plant directly what it needs more of. because sometimes you know soil is very complicated and so a soil test doesn't necessarily always translate into what you're seeing in a tissue report yeah true. so i like to i like i mean the the classic program for high value crops is to do a soil test and a tissue test every single year
0: nice and and the pace Uh, test the pace test too right maybe this is the yeah when i say soil test that's kind of what
1: I, i mean a, a combination of a standard okay. and a paste test.
0: Okay. Okay. And so, and for us diversified small flower farms, testing every single crop is going to be a little tricky because <laughs> oh. they are, they're expensive. Uh, I forget how much it was, but it wasn't, it was like 70 bucks or something for the tissue test. I forget. I don't know. Yeah. So I think a
1: tissue test is 40 and oh, then I charge dollars for the interpretation. Okay. So that's probably where I was at, but the And a soil test is 55 if you get a standard yeah. and a PACE test. Yeah. Um, for growers who do want help analyzing soil tests and tissue tests, you, they can go on my website and just order them directly. And then I'll send them all the protocols on how exactly to pull a tissue test, as well as a prepaid lab form to Logan Labs. And they'll ship out the the sample to Logan, and then the results will come to me and I'll analyze the, um, the data and provide recommendations. But to, what I was going to say is... Um, when it comes to, to tissue testing and you, when you when you have a polyculture when you're a diversified vegetable or flower grower, I like to say choose your highest value mm-hmm. crop and just start there. So, yeah. if if you really focus on one thing, start with that. Yeah. Because usually um, this isn't always the case because all plant species have different nutrient requirements and they like slightly different soils and things and but they're more similar than than you would think. So if you have um, one crop and you learn that it needs more iron, for example, on a tissue test, there's a pretty good probability that all your other crops are gonna need more iron as well. So you can sort of use your, your highest value crop as the canary in the coal mine to To manage your nutrition for all your other crops.
0: I like I like that analogy, the canary in the coal mine. That that makes perfect sense to me. (laughs) And I'll say, you know, for me, I've been prioritizing crops in the greenhouse that are high value, like two, three dollars a stem kind of crop, because then I can I can actually you know justify the expense. So this past year, I did ranunculus, uh, campanula, and stock. Stock was not. Is not that high value of a crop, for the record, but I've just struggled with growing good quality stock. So I was trying, trying to make sure I understood the nutrient needs of that. And then dahlias um, in the summertime um, are such a valuable crop to do that for. So those are um, those are just some ideas and suggestions for growers who want to try this as well. And I just want to I just want to testify to how easy it was to work with you, Brian, and how you you took something that seemed really I'd known about and wanted to try, but just couldn't quite, you know, wrap my head around it. And, and you made it so simple and so easy. And it was very, very well spent money. And I'm glad that I did it. So, And I agree, we should all share our testing um, data. I know that Leanne Huber, who is was a um, guest on the podcast, Several seasons ago, now I think that was season two, maybe even season one. Anyway, she's a dahlia grower, and she was t- tissue testing as well this past year. So I think we're going to start to have a pool of info for dahlias, especially if you pulled sure. up something, Brian. So well, <laughs> that's and, and good. speaking <laughs> of dahlias,
1: I, I yeah, so I have I actually reached out. Well, the story goes, I think I worked with two different dahlia growers this year. Nice, and it and there was an issue I couldn't figure out just from looking at a soil test. And from pictures, so I I really wanted them to get a tissue test, and I I believe they're planning on doing that this year. And then I wanted I want to start growing dahlias in my high tunnel. Oh. Um, so this year I'm gonna have I'm gonna put it in a row, and so that inspired those two things inspired me to reach out to I think one of the best um, flower researchers in North Carolina, and I just emailed them directly. And he sent is me John his Dull? targets.
0: Is it John Dole? <laughs> I don't
1: think so. Oh. I think the guy's name is Brian. Oh. oh, do tell.
0: Uh, I'll have to get him on the podcast.
1: And he just sent me a his, his Dahlia tissue targets. So mm. anyway, I think if you're inspired and you dig, you can find stuff. Right. Uh, and again, just baseline. And it's possible these are, you know, hydro is, but yes. it's okay i mean it's a place to start yeah. so i think that's and, what's most important
0: and i'm guessing the people that really have this information are the dutch speaking of the dutch earlier exactly. oh. in, this, so, in this episode i'm pretty sure they have all this information yeah. we just well, need so to get the it dutch not
1: only have tissue targets for every flower cut flower yeah but they have they do sap testing where they look mm-hmm. at the, the liquids and the xylem and the phloem and they look at the nutrient concentrations in the xylem and the phloem which is a much more real time, much more expensive, mm. but unbelievable technique. So, if anyone is listening who um, is a is a very serious grower of a, a, a very commercial grower of one specific species, I would highly recommend sap testing. Um, it's it's most common in high value crops when you have. 10 to hundred acres of, mm-hmm. let's say again, honey crisp apples, mm-hmm. those, those people are sap testing. So it's a whole other level beyond tissue testing. Um, that's much more real time and much more specific. And that's, that's actually what the Dutch do.
0: Yeah, and I—I I mean, there are flower growers that this would actually be very helpful to. There are certain growers who specialize in peonies, in particular, is the one that I'm thinking of. And peonies are a high-value um, crop, and some some of the growers out there have, you know, fifty acres in peonies, which I am almost sure yield more than an apple acre does, but I could be wrong. So anyway, the point is that it there are crops in the flower world that that would merit sap testing. But yeah, the the normal smaller diverse diversified farm is maybe not doing SAP testing. But there yeah. are yeah. I those mean samples. the problem with sap testing
1: is is you actually have to get the samples to the lab quickly mm. because um it, it that actually does so you put them on ice and you overnight <laughs> them. I, I ship I do sap testing and i get my samples to the net to to the dutch to the netherlands <laughs> um in like 4 days oh my goodness so it's it's quite a process i there's an aggregator called crop health labs so you can actually overnight your sample to them they put hundreds or thousands of samples ah. on ice and, and send it to the netherlands so it is possible it's not that crazy but yeah, but, um, yeah.
0: that's it's cool you know crazy. that exists though i didn't know anything about that oh yeah so yeah if,
1: if you i mean you could you could spend $75 plus probably 25 on shipping yeah. and do a $100 SAP test where you send your sand, your leaves and it goes all the way to the, <laughs> the Netherlands. Netherlands. They do an unbelievable SAP test. Wow. I mean, mind-blowing SAP test, and you have data within a week. Wow. Pretty cool.
0: Wow. Yeah. The world is... Pretty, pretty magical. Sometimes I don't love globalization, for the record. Yeah, yeah, that is...
1: one—that one's a tough one because it's both <laughs> right. amazing and a little weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So now, if if we, this is going to be a little tricky because everybody's just listening and they're not actually seeing this. But it, is there a way you could slowly walk us through a readout? You can use mine if you if you have it handy. But just give us an idea, give listeners an idea of what data is in a tissue test results, the results that come back, and then how you're kind of comparing them. Why is it that we're talking about targets? It's because we need to know whether the number makes sense or not, basically. So can you do a, a an audi- audible, audible, <laughs> audible <laughs> version of audible, your... Audible, yeah, sure, yeah. sure.
1: Um, so usually what I would do is I would look at a tissue test alongside the soil test, and so I'm going to do that. Okay. Um, but I'll, I'll primarily focus on the tissue test because I like to see tissue data, and then say, "Well, wh- why is the nitrogen high?" And I like to glance at the, nit- the mm-hmm. nitrate level on a soil test to, to help explain things, um, because usually where you see a discrepancy is where um, they're the most I, I get most interested. So yes, I will walk it. Walk you through your tissue test that you took on stock, if Excellent. that's okay.
0: That's works. And for the record, okay. I will post I'm gonna post the picture of this test result on Instagram, I think, and also on the Regenerative Flower Farmers Network for people who want to kind of look at it while you listen to Bryant talk about it. <laughs>
1: okay, go. Cool. Okay. So um the first number is nitrogen, which came out at five point three eight percent on the tissue test. So That to me, um, most crops are right in the, the most heavy feeding annual crops that I've seen are between three and 5% nitrogen. So I immediately, my immediate thought was, this is a sufficient level of nitrogen. Hmm. We compared the stock tissue numbers to broccoli because you said that broccoli was very similar. Yeah. It's in the same family. Yep. And so it is that, that number is right in range for broccoli. Um, I glance at the soil test report, the standard test test, ammonium and nitrate and your nitrate in your high tunnel is 184 PPM, which is very high in my opinion, a little Mm -hmm. too high, but that's okay. Again, these flowers probably love it.
0: Yeah. That was the Uh, mushroom compost, by the way, everybody, that was the mushroom compost.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a level that, you know, like even for, uh, cannabis going into the vegetative cycle, that's high. So just for a little reference. Um, phosphorus was 0.49% on the standard test. You already mentioned that the mushroom compost brings in huge amounts of phosphorus. Um, makes sense, 0.49% is not an extreme amount of phosphorus. To me, that's just a really healthy number. Again, it's right in the sufficiency range of broccoli and you have about a thousand pounds breaker of phosphate on your standard soil test and good um, phosphorus solubility on your paste test. So to me, phosphorus is great. Jumping over to potassium, it's almost 5% on the tissue test, which to me is pretty high. Mm. Um, Usually I I see for annual crops, something like two and a half to three and a half percent. Um, And sure enough, this is about 50% over the range for broccoli. Most plants can luxury feed potassium. So I don't think this is a problem, Um, but I do think it will reduce the uptake of calcium. So to me, lowering your potassium um, in your soil would really help increase calcium uptake. Um, and sure enough on the paste test, you have 206 PPM of potassium. Um, and that's a lot, that's very, very yeah. high. So yeah.
0: And I can, uh, I can it, jump in yeah. and just let you know everybody is listening. That's because I use too much kelp. So in, in these beds, uh. I was going too heavy on kelp, um, I think, initially, which is pushing that potassium up. That's my guess. That was what I just guessed from it. And the reason to be especially concerned about too high of potassium in stock in my slightly educated opinion, (laughs) is that hollow stems are a problem in stock. That's one of the things that I struggled with it before I had tissue testing and kind of understood. So if potassium is limiting calcium and calcium helps with the stock having hollow stems, am I saying this right? (laughs) Yeah, that's 100% correct. And I would would even
1: go further to say that all other major cations are antagonistic to calcium. Mm. And so your sodium is also high in the soil um, and the magnesium is a little high in the soil. So I would recommend eliminating all inputs with magnesium, potassium, and sodium. Kelp is a major um, contributor to sodium potentially, anything from the ocean. So I would reduce all those, try to slowly bring those other cations down, which will increase the uptake of calcium. Um, So the next number on the tissue test is calcium. It's at a little over 2%. The calcium numbers for different annual crops vary dramatically. So I don't really know what's normal, but that says that it's a a normal range for broccoli. Um, You can't have too much though. So I think pushing that way higher is better. I like to see five or even 6% Hmm. in cannabis um, in the vegetative period of growth. So it can definitely be higher. When we get to magnesium, this one's interesting. It's actually a little low compared to the broccoli um, ranges, it's 0.21%. I usually see most crops around 0.4. What's paradoxical here is the soil solution has 96 ppm of magnesium, which is way too high. Mm. But I see this all the time, specifically, again, in cannabis is where you have uh, high levels of magnesium in the soil, but low levels in the plant. I don't know why this is, but I see this all the time. When you have an excess in the soil, you have often a Um, a deficiency in the plant. And the best solution to this is to foliar apply Epsom salt at about a tablespoon per gallon of water, which will feed the plant the magnesium it needs without pushing magnesium higher in the soil. Yeah. And that's exactly
0: what I did last year after you walked me through this and the plant screened up beautifully right after that. So the Epsom salts really helped. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anytime you see interveinal chlorosis, which is the yellowing between the veins of the leaves, um, you can you can do a tablespoon per gallon of Epsom salt foliar applied if they're young plants. Maybe back off to one to two teaspoons per gallon, and if the plants green up within 24 hours or 48 hours, you know it's magnesium. So it's a an Epsom salt foliar is like the best tool for an organic grower to um, diagnose magnesium hunger. Sulfur is sufficient on the tissue test at about one percent. Um, Iron is very high at 343 parts per million on the tissue test. Iron is is a tricky one because any amount of soil dust on the tissue sample can lead to a very elevated iron number. So there's often contamination with iron. So it's tough to know when high iron numbers are accurate or not. But a really high iron number isn't a problem, in my opinion. Um, the only thing I would I would want to look at is magnetic is manganese which is another micronutrient and there's usually a pretty close relationship between iron and manganese and so your manganese is at 61 parts per million Um, this is sufficient for broccoli but i would if that iron number continues to be high when you tissue test stock another one or two or three times i would actually recommend applying manganese sulfate Mm. Um, that said your manganese looks pretty sufficient in the soil solution so i would wait and see if that I I wouldn't apply that right now. I would just keep your eye on that.
0: Yeah. And for the record, that was beautiful stock. This test is from last season's crop, and it was beautiful, beautiful stock. So whatever the iron issue was, it didn't have an impact.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, it's probably not an issue. It could be a really good thing. Um, Or it could just be a a single particle of soil that went through the ICP. Okay, next thing is boron. Boron's a little low, but um, there's two two thoughts here. One, I just know broccoli needs a lot of boron. Broccoli also, interestingly enough, suffers from a hollow stem disorder that mm-hmm. broccoli growers have to deal with. So it's also possible that what this is telling us is that combination of calcium and boron is what really um, fills in stems. So I think you did add some boron yep. in addition to your calcium. To your I did. Calcium. Sorry.
0: Yes, I did. And now boron is a standard you convinced me to fertigate uh, in my greenhouse. And now in the wintertime around this time of the year, which is January currently, um I am microdosing boron this time of the year to just because the soil is so cool. And I think a lot of these crops, these crops are actually growing, actively growing in January. And I think oh, wow. they were just struggling to pull enough boron out of the soil without the microbial activity. Um, and so far, they seem very good. I will let you know. <laughs> but that great, has been great, my solution. Excellent. Yeah.
1: I would also throw a little bit of boron, probably in the form of borax, Hmm. Or soluble. I think you were using yeah, soluble in your, in your foliar spray because that combo of calcium and boron hmm. is really, um, really a good combination. They're very synergistic.
0: Nice.
1: Um, then the final two things on the tissue test are copper and zinc, and they're both in the sufficiency range for broccoli. So when I looked at this, you didn't see my reaction, but I, I was like, wow, <laughs> this is this looks amazing. Besides just a little bit low magnesium and a little low boron, everything looks perfect as far as having very loose ranges. So it makes sense that the plant was really healthy.
0: Yeah, it was a great crop. Um, It was the first time I ever successfully grew really good (laughs) stocks. So thank you for helping me figure that out. And the tissue test did really help because I would not have suspected the magnesium issue because, I, yeah, my soil test said I had high magnesium. So why would I be applying yeah, the Epsom right. salts? But because of that tissue test, I was able to uh, supplement with a foliar and, and, yeah, made a big difference. So um, awesome. Thank you for walking through that with me <laughs> and with everybody. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And like I said, having you help me understand tissue testing was super invaluable and I I highly recommend your um your services to everybody who's listening who needs help with plant plant nutrition because Understanding plant nutrition, like there, there's been such a groundswell of soil health and soil balance, um, in the regenerative flower farming world. In particular, this has been such a focus, and it's absolutely like important. Obviously, it's the foundation of good growing. But then I think that we growers, professional growers, who are really trying to make a living at this, to do it well, to um, manage the inputs and the outputs and all the things. Really having a handle on plant nutrition is also very, very important because otherwise we're just throwing, you know, stuff at the wall and hoping it works (laughs) and it's so much more efficient to understand what the plants are actually taking up and and how they're responding. So that's where, yeah, I I wish I had started this sooner basically is what I'm trying to say. (laughs)
1: Well, I'm so impressed with how much you you have learned and how much and how much you know about nutrition. Even in the last year, it's like you've you clearly put a lot of
0: oh, time and
1: effort into reading and learning. So I'm, I'm you you are you know a lot about <laughs> and, and in not just nutrition. You're also you know interviewing people and learning about a number of different topics on your farm. So I'm impressed with. how quickly you're
0: moving that that's that's high praise from somebody who i admire your level of knowledge and i really i can only just humbly say it's because amazing people get on this podcast and share their knowledge freely um and often they have like a book or something that is also fantastic (laughs) like in the case of nigel palmer who, who is really um fundamental to my personal journey of learning about all this stuff so um so i'm just i'm just the the pot it all falls into. <laughs> what have been some of your resources for learning the information? You mentioned you took that um, foliar course, uh, but like, what 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 do you think are some good places for people to start that maybe we don't know about as flower farmers?
1: Yeah, and this is a tough question for me to answer because. I see my role as someone who has to spend a lot of time vetting information and Mm -hmm. learning to then translate it into Mm -hmm. simpler communication to growers. And so how I learn, I'll just tell you, um, but it's, it's very intensive. And, Mm. you know, it's like, I'm spending an enormous amount of time um, doing it. So it's not like I necessarily recommend it. It's (laughs) not easy to digest, but, but the number one way I learn is, by asking myself questions, and then I have about 10 textbooks hmm. um, that I then... So I, I ask myself a question about soluble carbon as a as a nutrient uptake in through roots or something. Mm-hmm. And then I go through my 10 textbooks and I just scour them for hours yeah. looking for any reference to that question. Um, I don't necessarily usually go directly to scientific studies, although I do have a constant stream of new specific Mm. studies um, that come in through alerts that I've set, um, just because that's a very time intensive way. And I find that textbooks are the best compilation of just decades and decades of of research. So if people are really interested in really high quality growing information, like I actually think buy a textbook And I think the best one to start with, that's actually just like a fun, like I could read it before I go to bed at night. It's just (laughs) so fascinating is the nature and properties of soil.
0: Oh, you recommended that one time before to me. Uh, Yeah. I meant to get that one.
1: Yeah. Um, of soils, plural. That's just like the, such a good textbook. Um, so, so yeah. And then I've got like behind me, the (laughs) mineral nutrition of higher plants, like that's, that's, the most unbelievable work, okay. but I wouldn't, it's not easy reading. Yeah. Like it's, it's not, I wouldn't recommend it. So, yeah. but, but I do think if people really want to go deeper textbooks are the best place to do it. Okay. Um, I, I would steer people away from kind of like the pop agronomy books, mm-hmm. even though the people who write them are wonderful and they're interesting. There's just, there's a lot of um, I think false information in them. Yeah. yeah. So then the other source of information for me is Because I'm a certified crop advisor through the American Association of Agronomy, I have to do tons of continuing education Mm -hmm. and they put out amazing resources, but unfortunately they're only accessible to agronomists.
0: Okay, okay.
1: Professional agronomists. Um, But they do webinars and I get this magazine called Soils and Crops. Um, If you want quick information, you can follow me on Instagram. There's also other people putting out short videos on Instagram. But I think for people who really want to go deeper, I think really connecting with your local extension Mm -hmm. and then just picking through textbooks of interest. Yeah. And I think those are the best two ways to learn slowly over time, really fact-based information without going down sort of bad rabbit holes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I will say, I, I'm going to um, just give you another shout out. The, your Instagram is incredibly, every time you do one of your videos, I'm just so excited because I know I'm going to learn something else from your Instagram video posts because you're always so articulate um, and you have such a knowledge base, but then you're applying it in your own growing settings and it shows that you're you're carrying that um Information from a textbook, putting it through your own mental processor and then putting it out yeah, in the field yeah, exactly. literally. And and that uh that entire lifespan of that knowledge is super, super valuable. So I highly recommend following you on Instagram uh for anybody thank who you. hasn't, which is the soil doctor. I don't know if we actually said your Instagram handle, but that's what it is, the soil doctor. <laughs> yes, so.
1: it's soil underscore
0: doctor. Uh, okay, sorry. The yeah handle. And uh, it's good to hear that.
1: It's really good to hear yeah. that you appreciate it. And thank yeah. you for your kind words. It's yeah. And for me, it's Instagram, kind of like shipping things to the Netherlands. It, it's both amazing and horrible. So it's good yeah. to hear that people are finding value.
0: Oh yeah, it's my- a tremendous value. And and I will say, I think Instagram. There's a lot of bad to it, but I, I'll just say for my own Instagram feed, no till flowers. I think it's a wonderful way to share bite-sized pieces of information that can maybe not answer an entire question or solve an entire problem for somebody, but it is just the chunk, just the the one bite that leads people to solve, you know, to, to know just enough <laughs> to know how to solve the rest of their problem. Um, and that's where I see the value in that. So, but anyway oh uh, and one more
1: one more i forgot this this is actually a major source of information for me that's way more digestible podcasts oh yeah so this podcast since coming on the first time i think is wonderful (laughs) um you i think you've mentioned the john kemp's regenerative yeah that's a good uh, one agriculture podcast Mm -hmm. is good i'm just gonna the, the other ones that i like um ATRA, A T T R A, sustainable agriculture. Ah. It's called Voices from the Field.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to that a few times. I forgot about that one, actually. Yeah, I mean, I don't
1: listen to it a lot, but I. Um... And then there's one called Tractor Time from Acres USA. Hmm. There's one called Field Lab Earth, which is hmm. the, the uh, certified crop advisor oh,
0: yeah. I don't podcast that,
1: that I okay. think anyone can listen to. Okay. Um, Tad Hussey, the cannabis. Cultivation and Science podcast mm. is really good. Um, Decode Six is about decoding carbon and ecosystem services as in, in agriculture. Um, and the final, the final one, uh, and then there's a couple more, but I, I'll keep the list short. <laughs> the final one that is a hidden gem yeah. that it was four episodes in like oh, 2017.
0: I think I know what you're going to say
1: yeah do you, do you have a guess
0: what uh, it's a the, female so host is it the female host yes so yes.
1: The, the one i was gonna say is called priming for production that's it,
0: that's it. yeah
1: it's about it's about organic matter so that one that's a cool that's a cool one
0: I think... it gives an update
1: on our definition of organic matter and the the it, it was just like so yeah. so well done so accurate so science-based and to me i finished the four episodes and just had immediate He's yeah. a paradigm shifter
0: for me. Yeah, I think I listened to it like four times. And also I'm pretty sure that's Natalie. Um, if my all my yes. wires are connecting. And she is now a podcast host for No Till Growers. So um oh, cool. she doesn't she doesn't come on very often, I don't think, but um she's done a couple episodes with no till growers. So if you want to look look up I her will episodes. Do that. I mean that's that's another
1: one I should listen yeah, to. I, just, I love I yeah. Know, there's a book that I just looked at by um, o- O'Hara or O'Hara, no-till.
0: Oh, oh, Brian, I think it's Brian O'Hara, I think.
1: Yeah, so I, I haven't read this one
0: yet. Yeah, yeah, I have that one too, yep. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. It's called
1: no-till intensive vegetable culture. And I just, yeah. I looked at it one page and it just had such specific like tr- actionable tractor technique. Like <laughs> this is how, these are the implements we use. This is how, and it was yeah. so helpful from a grower standpoint, it wasn't theoretical. It was like, here's how we've done it. And that was really cool. Yeah.
0: I like that book a lot. Um, I'll put a link, I'll put a link to all these things in the show notes, by the way, if I can, if I can keep track of everything, um, that you just said, which was an awesome list. I just want to add one other podcast, which I assume, you know, Brian, but maybe you don't. And if you don't, you should definitely listen to it. It's called shaping fire. Do you know this one? It's a cannabis podcast. uh um, yeah. by Shrangerla Shangri La. Shangri-La. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the current um he's an awesome I don't I I I hope he listens to my podcast, but I don't think so. Uh but um he's an awesome um, podcast host. But he has changed the direction of his show uh, in the past season or so and it's not nearly as focused on growing. Now it's more focused on legal issues and other things related to the industry which aren't really transferable to flower farming but uh, his podcast is full of regenerative topics, growing topics back a couple seasons. So you gotta go back a couple, like a year or two okay, and it is just stacked full of awesome um, conversations about Korean natural farming And soil biology and all sorts of things. So I highly recommend "Shaping Fire" by um, Wishanger Law as another podcast to check out. It's good. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that
1: recommendation.
0: Definitely. So, okay. Wow, this was a long chat, which I've loved very, very much. I kind of just feel like you and I should start our own podcast for the record. But (laughs) (laughs)
1: that would be fun. It would be. I would need someone like you if I ever started a podcast.
0: There's no way I could Ah, do it. Well, here, here I am. I'm at your service. Thank you, Brian, so much for all your knowledge for being so generous. And I just want to say it again to listeners. Brian is awesome. As a consultant, I highly, highly recommend his help. Um, And if you're not in a place to hire him, at least go follow him on Instagram at the soil doctor uh, for some really additional great information. So thank you, Brian. It was awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Jenny. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, that wraps up another energetic episode of No-Till Flowers. I'm so grateful you tuned in and hope you got several new ideas that can help you farm more in step with nature. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next one. Also, please take a second to rate and review the podcast wherever you're getting it. Reviews help grow this show and let others know that it's worth a listen. Many thanks to Matt Moran, the post-production manager of No-Till Flowers, for his meticulous editing so you don't have to listen to too many of my outbursts of excitement and laughter. Also, gratitude goes to Nikolai Fox for the original music used here on the show. Until next time, remember,
1: it all stems from the soil.